right. Good morning, everybody. Well, my name is Jared. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and it's just so good to see all of you. I'm going to do that one over here. Uh, so, I'm excited to uh, spend some time with you this morning. Uh, we're in between message series where we have, uh, we just finished up our series called Whatever, where we talked a lot about the things that we say and we think and we do. And next week, as Mary had mentioned, we're starting a brand new series called Take Root, Bear Fruit, which is really all about what does it look like to bear fruit? What, is this, what does the Bible talk about? What is the mark of a disciple? And so I'm excited for that series that begins next week. But this week, we're right in the middle where we actually have a free open week. And I wanted to talk about uh, a little bit about our church and some of the, the things that make our church tick. And the reason we're talking about that is, is because I think it's really important for us to, to know why we do the things that we do. And, and that's because we live in a world right now where a lot of people are asking the question, what's the big deal about the church? More than ever, people are stopping attending church on Sunday mornings um, many people in our nation, in our uh, society, in our kind of our, our culture, and even across the world are abandoning Sunday morning services and kind of going solo with their faith. A lot of people still consider themselves to be Christians, still consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, but really don't see the value or understand the reason why the church is so important. And maybe some of you are in the room today thinking the same thing. What's the big deal about the church? Like, because man, it really feels like it would be a lot easier for me to go to to just you know, wake up in the morning on a Sunday and go to brunch rather than have to get up and go to church. Um, I wish I could go camping for the weekend, you know, and just not have to worry about coming back on Sunday and these types of things. I understand that feeling, and a lot of people are asking the same question. And I felt like it was important for us to take a minute and talk about what is it that makes our church tick, and not just our church, but the Church of Jesus Christ. Did you know that every church? In America, every church in the world is all connected, not by organization, not by a specific denomination, but through Jesus. We're called the body of Christ. The Bible talks about the church, the church, literally every disciple, every person who's made up of the family of God, those who are children of God, those who say yes to Jesus, that we become the church. And the church is called the body of Christ because the head of the church is Jesus. So our church right here on a Sunday morning and then any other church that meets in another place, they're all part of the church, which is incredibly important because Jesus gave the church, his body, an incredibly profound mission to accomplish. And so when we simply say to ourselves, it's not that big of a deal whether or not I go to church or not, and when people decide that they're going to subtract themselves or remove themselves from the church of Jesus Christ and its function and what it's valuable for and why it's there, they're actually missing out on so much. There is no way that an individual could actually accomplish what God wants for each of us. And so what I thought we would do is take a little bit of time today to talk about something that I'm calling the DNA of the church, the DNA of the church. And there is so much that we could talk about that, what is, that makes up the church. But today we're going to focus on one specific area. But before we do that, I want to talk about what is the DNA of the church, because I'm hoping that by the end of this message today, you're going to have a greater appreciation, not just for encounter, but for what God is doing across the world through the vehicle of the church. So what makes up the DNA of the church? The first thing is this, purpose, right? I think we have these three things here listed here. Purpose, mission, and values. Any organization, anything has these three things, okay? The purpose is simple. 
people. Why does it exist? If you want to know why the church exists, what it's for, that's what its purpose is. The second thing is a mission. So now once you understand why something exists, what exactly does it do? How does it accomplish its mission? That's what the mission is. And the third thing is the value, and that's how does it do it? Now, most of you could probably guess the why and the what of Encounter Church. We talk about it all the time here, the why. The purpose of our church is this phrase that we use. It's called encounter God in real life. We have t-shirts that say it, right? Everything that we do here is geared around this idea of helping people know who God is, that he loves them, that they can know him in real life in regular spaces where it matters. Because what good is a God? What good is a relationship? What good is a religion if it has no applicable value to what I'm actually going through in my life? And this is what people struggle with. This is why I think people leave the church. This is why I think people leave religion in general is because they say, you know what? I'm busy. I have friends. I've got a good job. What's the point? Why am I going to get up on a Sunday morning or any other time and go anywhere? Why am I going to serve a God that doesn't have any relevance to my life? But the reality is, is that the Bible teaches that the purpose of the church is that people would know God and give him glory and experience him and then replicate that to other people. So our church says that by encountering God in real life. Now, our mission, you might have seen the sign right as soon as we come into the chapel here. We have a sign there that has three E's. Our mission is experience God, explore faith, and express publicly. We want to do that. We want people to be able to experience the God who is alive, to interact with him, and to know that he is applicable to their life. Remember, encounter God in real life. We also want people to have a place to explore Explore their faith. We recognize that people walk in here from all different walks of life, different places, different, different needs, different uh, understandings, different journeys, different maturity levels, all sorts of different places. And we want to, people to have a spot where they can explore what it means to follow Jesus. To What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to know who God is? And so we want to create a space for that. But we also see that Scripture teaches that it's important for us to not just take that, internalize it, but also to give it out and to express that because God is a partnering God, that God is saying, I want everyone in the world to know this, not just you. And so we express it publicly so that people can see what God has done in our lives. Now, we do that at our church in these ways. Predominantly, we experience through our weekly worship service. We're all in here together. And this is the place that primarily God speaks to his church. That's part of the reason the church is so important is because if one guy hears from God, that's great, but you're just one dude. Like there's billions of people on the planet, 7.6 billion people, I believe I looked up this week. There's a lot of people. How does anyone, how would God speak to his body, his people? The best place to do that is together in a place where we can all hear in one spot. Because as a church, we're all moving in one direction because we're all in the room together and we can hear what God might say to us and then we explore it later. So Sunday mornings we experience, but then in the middle of the week, the predominant way that we explore is through our life groups. And we push people into life groups all the time because that's the other half of, the, of, the, of following faith is learning what it means in my life, in your life, with other people. So life groups gives you the place to ask a question. So if you want to know what is Encounter all about, obviously Sunday morning is a big piece of that. But the other half of that equation is when we spend time with each other, allowing people to have questions and say, I don't know what the heck Pastor Jared meant by that. In fact, I was offended by what he said. Now, I don't mean to ever offend anybody. 
That's not my goal here. My job is to just to try to translate what I see in God's word, to hear from him speaking of what he wants for his people and how we can reach the world and how we can grow in him. But sometimes I'm trying to speak to a wide array of individuals who all have different walks of life and they hear. I might say one thing, but they hear a different, right? And that's the beauty of life groups is it gives you a chance to be able to hear something said and then bounce it back off of your friends, people who are all going through similar things, and you can talk about it and wrestle and struggle with your faith. That's the beauty of our faith as Christians is we don't have to have our act together. We don't have to have it all together. In fact, you can sit in a room with other people and say, my life stinks right now. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm frustrated. I want to give up. And then somebody in the room next to you is probably going to say, you know what? I felt like that just last week, or I still feel that way right now. Don't give up. And they can encourage each other. You know what God's really been saying to me in this passage of Scripture or whatever it is. And that's why life groups are so important. That's how we do our mission. We experience God on Sunday mornings together. And then we explore how that applies to our life through life groups. But then as God changes our heart, as we experience him, as we recognize the things that he's saying to us, and it changes our very thought processes and our patterns and the way that we see the world, now we have a responsibility to express that outwardly so that we can invite the next person person into that. And that's where expressing comes in. And that's how we have our dream team. Half the room right now are people who serve on the dream team in our church. These are people who say, I have been changed by God. I've been changed by him and I want to be a part of what he's doing. That's what the dream team is. So when we ask you, hey, would you consider handing out donuts in the cafe? Or when we say, would you serve on the worship team? Or maybe would you, you know, help serve in our kids so that they can know about Jesus? We're not asking you to just do a task. What we're saying to you is, is will you partner with what God wants to do so that they can receive what you already did? That's the point of the dream team. And so when we say to you, I love it that our kids are moving by. Hi, guys. Sorry, but anyone listening on the podcast, our kids just walked by in the hallway, so I just had to say hello to them. Um, the dream team is just you expressing what God has already done in you so that other people can experience it too. So we invite you to join. Join the team. Help us. Help us to reach this city. Help us to create a space on Sunday mornings for people to hear about Jesus. But we also do our outreaches. We serve in our city. We serve around the world in missions, and we preach the gospel, the name of Jesus, in places of people who've never heard of Jesus. That's an outward expression. So we, our purpose of our church is for people to know God, experience him, right? To encounter God in real life. What do we do as a church? We experience, we explore, and we express. Sunday mornings, life groups, dream team and missions. That's our church. But how do we do it? How do we do it is so important. What separates Encounter Church from others? And it's not a competition. It's not a competition. But what makes us unique, the flavor the heartbeat behind it is what matters to people. The values that drive everything you do is what we want to talk about this morning. The DNA of the church, because almost every church does outreach. Almost every church has a worship service. Almost every church has small groups. But what is it that makes it tick? What is it that makes it work? And what is it that makes people want to come in? What makes it attractive? What makes it contagious? The values of the church are what make it so important. It's the heartbeat. And the core values of our church come from the core values of the church 
that we see in the book of Acts. And what we're going to do in just a moment is we're going to open the book of Acts. And I'm going to tell you a story about how the birthplace of the church of Jesus Christ took place. And we're going to see what the church looked like in the very early days. And we'll see a few values in place that already we can see. And then from that place, you'll see why our church does what it does. And the reason we're talking about this this morning is this. Because I believe that if each one of us commit to living our lives in reflection of the values that we see in Scripture and then translate it in our lives or in our church, then not only will our church thrive, but every single one of us will thrive as well. Why is that? Because the values that you see in Scripture are the values of the kingdom of God. And when we align ourselves with the way that God created the world to work, the byproduct of that is health and vibrancy It doesn't mean easy. It doesn't mean everything is going to be great. But it does mean that you'll be healthy. It means you'll be purposeful. It means you'll find belonging. And we'll see that operating in the church. And we'll see why the church grew so rapidly. Because they were were living inside of and aligning themselves with with those values. And that's where we draw our values from. So if you would, let's look at the beginning of the church. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and 2. We're actually going to be reading specifically Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 37. But here's what happened. So we know the story in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at the end of each of those books, Jesus is betrayed, and he's taken to uh, trial, where he is put on trial uh, by the Romans and essentially sent to be crucified. And, And then he dies on the cross. Three days later, Scripture tells us he rises from the grave, okay? So this is the, this is the beginning of the moment that, that, we, that we understand as Christians, that that's the central concept of why we are here. But did you know that for 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he actually hung out with his friends? 40 days. That's like a month and a half that Jesus was just appearing at different spots, having lunch with them, walking with them on the streets, talking with them, encouraging them. 40 days. And then after that, Jesus meets with them, tells them to meet him at a particular mountain area, and he goes and he meets with them, and he gives them this mission that we know of called the Great Commission, where Jesus says, I'm about to leave now. I'm going to be gone for a while. I will return, I promise you, but until I come back, I want you to do this. I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to teach the good news. I want you to tell them everything that I have commanded you, and that's a lot. I want them, I want you, essentially he's saying, I want you to to partner with me to help everybody experience the life and the purpose and the values that I have instilled in you. And I want them to know it, teaching them to obey me, to obey those things. And then he floats up into heaven. It's called the ascension, okay? And from that time, from that time on, every single Christian has a reason to look up into the sky because Jesus promised that he would return one day. Every day, when we think about the things that have been happening in our world, the difficulties, the frustrations, the horrible tragedies that take place in our country and around the world, Christians for centuries have been saying, come, Lord Jesus, return. Because when he comes back, he promises to make all things new. But until that time, we have a responsibility. And Jesus said to them, I'm leaving you now, but I'm going to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit. And he says, go into a room back in Jerusalem and wait. So they go into this room, 120 of the disciples go to this place where they've rented a room and they're on a second floor, an upper room, and they're waiting because they don't know what they're waiting for. But Jesus said, go and I'm going to bring you the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you will have power to preach the good news. So he understood 
that there was something needed, that they didn't have everything that they needed inside of them at the moment, that they needed something else to help them be effective. Jesus had already died. Jesus had already risen from the grave with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he had ascended to heaven. He gave them a mission and said, go and wait. And they were scared because now they were being hunted. Not only was Jesus the one who was crucified, but his followers, they were hunting them down because they wanted to squash this revolution of religion at the time. So the disciples were terrified. They're hiding in an upper room, waiting for whatever they don't know what. They said, Jesus just said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us in the very beginning of Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit came upon those people in that room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, Peter, it says, filled with the Spirit, walks out onto the balcony and opens the shutters. It's this crazy moment where he walks out onto the balcony of this upper room, and there are thousands of people down below because it's a big festival, the festival of Pentecost. Now, if you've ever heard the word Pentecostal, it's just because that movement generally started on the day of Pentecost. That's all it means. Pentecost was a Jewish festival. So thousands of people from all over the world at the time had come to Jerusalem for this festival. So there are people from all different nations. This is what's incredible about this. When Jesus tells them, prior to all of this, to go into all the world and to preach the good news to every tribe, nation, and tongue, right? He tells them to do this to all the unreached groups of the world. Isn't it interesting that in the very first day that the Holy Spirit comes, that there are people from all these different nations, from all different languages, all different backgrounds in Jerusalem at the same time? And what happens? The Bible says that 120 of them were in a room The Holy Spirit comes upon them for the very first time ever in history. Peter, filled with the Spirit, opens the door, looks down, because people were mocking them. They're like, what's going on up there, man? It's like nine in the morning. Are they drunk already? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches for the very first time a gospel message. And what does he do? He connects the dots all the way from the Old Testament all the way up through Jesus' life and the way he lived. And he told them that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that they had seen in their scriptures previously and that he was the answer, that he was the salvation. And he said, if you want that, I can give it to you today because of what Jesus Christ has done. He preaches the very first gospel message. And do you know what happens? 3,000 people in that moment gave their lives to Christ that day. That's what scripture tells us. That's the beginning of the church. That was the birthplace of the church. And we pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. And listen to this. I want you to know what this looks like. Verse 37 in Acts 2, it says, When they heard this, he had just got done pouring out the whole plan of God's salvation to them. And he says this, When they heard them, they were pierced to the heart. Like something happened to them. Have you ever had a moment like that in this church or another church where God speaks? Maybe for you it looks like this. Wow, pastor, I felt like you were preaching to me this morning. That's the equivalent here of the they were pierced to the heart. Okay? The Holy Spirit does that. By the way, it's never Jared. It's never me. You know, I prepare the best that I can according to what I feel like the Lord wants to say to his church. But it's just me. I'm just a dude. It's the Holy Spirit. If you feel like, wow, I feel like Pastor Jared's really talking to me today, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God knowing you, knowing you're sitting in the chair this morning, knowing you were going to be here. So on a Tuesday when I'm writing a message, God knew you were going to be here today. I think that's incredibly encouraging. It says they were pierced to the heart and said Peter said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? We heard you say like, wow, this is awesome. Like this Jesus dude, what should we do? 
38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, including you in the room today, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and he strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. I feel like we're in a corrupt generation right now. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. What a powerful day. Like, this is incredible. This is the birthplace of the church. This is the moment where it all began. And this is literally the reason that you and I are sitting in this room today, because of the moment that we're reading here in Acts chapter 2. The passage continues, and now it shows us what the church was like. So it goes, oh, and by the way, so like we fast forward, there were 3,000 people who all of a sudden came to know Jesus. I mean, what would happen if 3,000 people right now walked into this building? We couldn't hold all of them, but somehow they just sprung into action. Something took place, and this is what the church looked like in the very beginning. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, I would be too, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. And now, all the believers, they were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Like, what a great moment. Something was happening Something was happening. And from that passage of Scripture, we see these functions of the church that have been happening for the last 2,000 years. It's no surprise that we do the same things as a church because it's ordained right here. We see it. What are the things that our church does? What are the functions of a church? They follow this process. Discipleship, worship, fellowship, ministry, evangelism. These are the five things that every church should be doing. And our church does them. Discipleship, that means focusing, that means growing. That's the teaching, learning about what Jesus is telling us and how to become disciples of Christ. Worship, giving glory to God, talking to him and telling him, declaring who he is. We do that. Fellowship, spending time with other believers, hanging out together, growing in relationship with each other, carrying each other's burdens, as Scripture talks about. Ministry, serving. Jesus called everyone to be servants, to use their gifts, their strengths, to see what was needed and to give and to, to help and to work and to making this happen. And in evangelism, which is again, the same idea of then not stopping with all of that, but bringing it out and helping other people experience the same thing. That's two separate times now. In the same passage of scripture, the first time 3,000 people were added to the faith. And then at the end of the passage, it says, in every day, the Lord added to their number. This is incredible. This is the birthplace of the church. But we also see the values of the church in action in this very part here. If you want to know what makes the Church of Jesus Christ tick, you want to know what makes Encounter tick, why I'm so passionate as your pastor about what we do is because it's found right in this passage of Scripture. Core values of Encounter Church, the how of everything that we do, and I promise it'll get practical here in a moment. Here are our four values as a church. The things that make everything that we do, every decision that we make, every strategic decision, every plan that we create, it comes from these things, which comes right out of this passage. I'm going to show you. The first one is this, relationships first. 
It's no, no secret, if you've hung around Encounter Church for a while, you'll notice that everything we do starts with relationships. Why is that? Well, check it out. In verse 44, it says, Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. Clearly, we see in the beginning here in Scripture, as soon as the church started, and this was like a mega church right off the bat, day one, oop, they planted a church, and 3,000 people were at their church. It's crazy, right? Now, it was different. It wasn't a building like this. Where did it happen? It happened in their houses. Every day they were eating together, every day they were hanging out, that's relationships. And so we take that model here at our church. We don't want you ever to be alone. If you're coming to church and you just come in and you hang out and you go home, you're doing it wrong. That's not what the body of Christ was created for. The body of Christ was meant to be relational, community-driven. It's an Eastern religion, not a Western one. So if you're an American and you're looking at Christianity through Western eyes, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. It was not meant to be a personal Jesus. It was never meant to be a personal faith, a personal religion, a get up on Sunday morning and go to brunch kind of religion. It was meant to be living in community, in relationship with other believers so that this community of people changes the world together. That's what it was always meant to be. It was meant to be one organism that takes over the world together. I just saw a movie last night movie called Annihilation. I didn't plan to say this, but it's applicable. The whole movie is about this thing, this organism that is growing. It is stretching. It is becoming wider and expanding its, its, its influence in, in the world. That's what the gospel is called to be. We are called to be the church that is essentially in one spot, but as we see our friends, as we see our coworkers and our neighbors, we invite them in with us. And then they become a part of it, and it expands, and it grows. It is never meant to be one guy, one lady, walking around doing their own thing and going to church every once in a while. It's meant to be done relationally, in community, everything through the context of people together moving in the same direction. That's the body of Christ. So here at our church, relationships first. Everything is run through it. You have a conflict with somebody, we're going to tell you to go to the person you have a problem with. If you have an issue, you have a question, bring it in the con, uh, into conversation. You want to know what Pastor Jared thinks about a topic? Then you're probably not going to hear me give a blanket statement about it in a sermon. Why? Because I want you to know what I think from a relationship point of view. If I, if I don't have a relationship with you, it's very difficult for me to be able to counsel you or to direct you even with authority. I might be your pastor, but in our day and age, you're not going to listen to me because you, don't have, you have your own opinion. Opinion. But if you know I love you, if you know I care about you, you know a friend cares about you, if they say something you don't want to hear, it doesn't end the relationship. It just it allows you to be able to work through it. That's the power of relationships. So everything that we do, when we talk on a Sunday morning, we have food day next week, the way we serve in our outreaches, everything is done through the context of either creating relationships or maintaining them and adding to them. Relationships first. Number two is everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. I love this because it's in Scripture. Verse 39, Peter said, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. There is not a single person that God does not love. We sang about that this morning. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. We see it all throughout Scripture. In the very beginning, in fact, the, 
the people who were Jesus' disciples thought that it was just for them and people like them. They thought it was just for Jewish people, that, that the Messiah was coming and he was only going to be giving you know, salvation to the Jewish people. So they were really excited. They were like, yes, finally the guy that is going to make it all right has come. But they were still treating their Gentiles, the people who weren't like them, differently. That's kind of like what it's like in our world today. It's kind of like when, when you're a Christian and you, you know that you have found something hopeful and truthful, but then people of different religions come along, people who look differently than you, different races, different color, skin, maybe different economic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, and we treat them differently because we think that like somehow, you know, subconsciously that what God has given me is for me, but maybe not for them. We would never say that out loud. But that's what happened here. And then, but God had to raise up another apostle. His name was Paul, who his specific job was to go and preach the gospel to people who were not like them. And it ruffled a lot of feathers. And so what we see, not just in this passage, but throughout scripture, is that God is the God of all people, of every tribe, of every nation, of every language. And he wants everyone to know him. And so at our church, we say that as everyone is welcome. That means that if you come from, if you come from a background who knows nothing about Jesus, or you come from a background that is, has been raised in a church all your life, if you walk into our church and you're homeless, if you walk into our church and you're rich, if you come from a Presbyterian background, or you come from a Pentecostal background, we are one family, one body, one church. Everyone is welcome here because that's who Jesus is. Jesus reflects that. Now, that's messy, it's very messy because everybody wants what they're comfortable with. I understand that. And this has been a wrestling, a match of wrestling in my own heart for the last four years of learning to pastor this church. Because I come from my own biases. I come from my own, my own comfortable experiences and what I know about and what I'm used to, right? And every one of you in the room does too. When you go visit a church, you're looking for something that you are familiar with. And that's fine. That's normal. But you know what? Like, there is no perfect church because there are no perfect people. But you know what I see in the beauty of Scripture? Again, everything that we get has to come out of God's Word. There's another passage of Scripture where Paul talks about differences between believers. And he says, if I have a brother or a sister who thinks that eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol is wrong, and I think it's fine, then I'm just not going to do it around them. Now, a little bit of context to that. The idea was is that they felt like, well, why would I want to eat something that was sacrificed to another God? Like, that's dishonoring of God. I totally get that. I think Paul got that, right? But he's saying it doesn't matter because I'm not a real God. That would be like saying, oh, I just, you know, like prayed over this, you know, cheeseburger and, you know, said like to the God of Google or something. Like, it doesn't matter. I can eat that cheeseburger. It's not going to do anything to me. Paul understood that, okay? But what he was getting at was something much deeper, he was saying that if, if we divide ourselves over this person believes this and this person believes that and this person thinks it's, it's uh, more appropriate to express their faith in this way and this person feels differently, then all you're going to be is just like the rest of the world that divides everything up by lines. And instead, Jesus was saying through Paul, no, I want one body, one family who believes in me first and outside of that, everything else is in relationships in the context of conversation. And that is the model that we follow here. That is messy, and it is very hard because there are people in our church who believe certain things about different passages of Scripture than other things. There are people who prefer our style of worship to a different style of worship, who read Scripture in a different way than other people do. But we are called to be one church where everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. That means that every single person who walks in the door there, God brought them here today, and our responsibility is to welcome them into our family. Everyone is welcome. And we see that in this passage of Scripture. Number three, dig deeper. 
dig deeper. One of the values of our church we see again from this passage, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves. That's a big word, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It means that they were serious about it. And so dig deeper for us is a reflection of the value of the church of Jesus, which is that God is always calling us to something deeper, to come to a greater understanding of who he is, to know him more, to allow his teachings to infiltrate ourselves more, to overwrite the patterns of thought in our minds. Every day, dig deeper. And for some of you, that means that you're just taking the first little baby step. For some of you, you've been a Christian for a really long time, and sometimes you feel like the, the messages that you hear at church, you've heard them a thousand times. I grew up in the church. I understand that feeling. I understand that the danger for someone who's been in church a long time or who has been in the body of Christ a long time is to think that you've heard everything and you can't ever get anything out of it, but that's a lie. It is a lie. We have to be the ones responsible for our faith and taking steps, always to dig deeper, to take another step closer to God. So my question to you today is, what's the next step for you? That's the question that this value represents. Dig deeper means wherever you are in your faith, whether you're new to faith, where you don't even have a faith, or whether you have been, you're a leader in our church, you're a staff member, whether you're about to head out to the mission field, what is the next step that will take you closer to Jesus today? So you, the way that I preach, the way that we worship, it's never, oh, I'm so glad that we're here and we've done enough. Let's just be happy together. No, it's always what's next. How can we get more from God? Why is that? It's not out of a earning anything. It's not out of a, that God, if we don't get there, that God's going to be mad at us. It's that God is an infinite well to draw upon. And there was always more. Until we reach perfection, there was always something better for us, something greater for us, a better lesson that we can learn. So digging deeper reflects the disciples that we see in Acts chapter 2 of devoted to teaching and to learning and to growing, never being satisfied with staying where they are, but always trying to get closer to Jesus because that's where true life is. So relationships first, everyone is welcome, dig deeper, and our last core value is all in for the one. All in for the one. I love this verse, verse 45. This one is incredibly challenging. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. When was the last time you sold your house so that somebody wouldn't get evicted from theirs? When was the last time that you sold your car? When was the last time you sold your television or your extra jackets or your clothes so that you could help a brother or a sister or a family member or a friend in need? That's, this, I recognize that this is an incredibly high standard to meet. And I don't know that this is a command as much as it is the principle, the value behind it. In other words, they were all in, right? They had experienced something, and it was so important to them. It was so powerful and transcending of anything else that they could find in the world that they were so all in for it that they knew that anybody who didn't have it was missing out severely. And they were willing to do anything for it. Are we all in for the one? I think the model that Jesus is teaching, that we see in Scripture through God, that what he is teaching to us is this idea of that until every single person has been given a chance, until every brother or sister has gotten to a place where they are not in need anymore, that we would do everything within our power to be excellent, to, to give our best because Jesus did because they're deserving of it, because they're worthy of it, not because they're good people, but because Jesus has declared that they were worth it when he died on the cross for them. That means that we have to examine as a church how we spend our money, 
That means that we have to examine as people in the church, where do we put our priorities? And I'm not just talking about our money. I mean, it's obviously talking about possessions here and property, but it's also talking about like the, the heart behind it. When I serve on a Sunday morning, do I gripe because I had to get up early? Or am I giving everything because someone might walk in the door who needs to hear hope today? I mean, how many times have you maybe gotten up in the morning and you thought, I wish I could just stay in bed? And, you, and you're tired. It's raining outside. I totally get that feeling. There have been days where I've felt that way. Yes, your pastor would rather stay in bed sometimes. Sometimes I would rather be the guy going to brunch on a Sunday morning because that's relaxing and that's easy. But you know what? I'm all in for the one. Because I know that there are people in this city. God has called me, and because you're sitting here, he's called you to be a participant in his mission of letting people hear about the goodness of Jesus. I want to say to you today, that if your attitude is in the wrong place about giving to Jesus, about serving him, I want to challenge you this morning. The disciples of Jesus Christ that we see in the picture that has been the model, the standard, the bar that has been set for us for the last 2,000 years has been that verse. They sold everything and all of their possessions so that no one was in need. That speaks of a willingness to put themselves down, to lay down their lives so that other people could have hope and the life of Jesus Christ. And that looks differently for all of us. I'm not meaning you literally have to sell your house or sell your car. Maybe God asks you to do that one day. I have heard stories of that. I have heard stories of people being obedient, hearing God say, I want you to sell this car and give it to that person or whatever it might be. But I'll tell you that there is no greater blessing in your spirit knowing that your father is pleased with you when you listen and you obey him and when you see the fruit of that labor. Sometimes Sometimes God gives us a glimpse. Sometimes he gives us the, the great privilege of actually seeing that the thing that we do, the obedience that we live in, whether it be giving someone money or whether it be doing an act of kindness or whether it be serving on a team at church or going on a mission trip or whatever it might be and doing it to the best of your ability and saying, God, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm frustrated, whatever it might be, and I'm doing it because I love you, I'm giving, I'm all in for the one. Sometimes what God does is he shows you later on, do you see how you touched that person's life? I'm proud of you. You did that. That's happened to me so many times. I don't do it for that, but I know in the back of my head that when I'm serving that God is a faithful God and he promises that whatever we do in the name of Jesus is, is not void, it's not empty, that he will take care of it. And so we see the church operating under these four values of being relational with each other, welcoming of all people, and always digging deeper and being devoted to Jesus and following him, and then being willing to do anything to bring more people into that family. And what does it say? It says that every day their numbers were added. Why wouldn't it be if we lived like this every day? If you and I were consumed by Jesus to live this way, with each other and in our workplaces and everywhere we went. Of course our friends, of course our coworkers and people who are far from God are going to want to know because they don't have that. They don't have life. They don't have this, this welling up inside of them. They don't see, you know, they don't have people around the world giving everything so that they could be, be known and be loved and find belongingness. If you want to know the secret to how a church thrives, if you want to know the secret for you and for me and how to, how to, to live a healthy life, let's start applying these principles into our personal lives and we'll see it. 
But as a church, I want every one of us to move in this direction. Let's be relational with each other. Let's be welcoming of all people. Let's always be digging deeper, taking the next step for our relationship with Jesus. And let's go all in for the one. As I close up this morning, I thought about this question. How can you and I participate and apply these? And real quickly, I want to go through. This is a very practical way that individually and as a church that we can apply these values in our lives. Number one, be intentional about building relationships. If we are relationally focused as a church, if the church of Jesus Christ is a relationships first organism, then we have to be serious about investing and building relationships. It means when I'm tired, it means when we're busy, when I'd rather just sit at home and watch TV, sometimes the call might be, the right move might to be, instead I'm gonna invite my friend over or I'm gonna text somebody or I'm gonna send him a Facebook message. How you doing? Hey, let's get together this week. You know, putting that priority out there, inviting people over to your backyard, inviting them to a baseball game with you. Be intentional about building relationships. Number two, go out of your way to include others who are different. This is very important. The reason that the gospel is so attractive to the poor and to the broken and to the foreigner is because they are outsiders, because they are different from everyone. The reason that, as uh, Aaron Hoover, our missionary friend from Greece, was here last month, the reason that he talked about that the Muslim people are so receptive to the gospel in Greece isn't because the message has changed. It's because they were now included for the first time. For the very first time, the Westerners, they saw people from the West not looking them as the enemy, but instead as loved children of God. And when you give them that love in the name of Jesus, and they've just gone through hell and back, They want it because that's something they've never heard before. So when we welcome the insider, when we go, when we welcome the outsider, when we go out of our way, when someone walks in the door on a Sunday morning and they look different than you or I do, or they smell different than you or I do or would even like, when we are going about our day, when we're going about our workplaces or whatever it is, when we see people, let's think like Jesus does because Jesus died for that person not just the ones who have nice shirts and can put on deodorant, like, you know? So when I look around this neighborhood and around this school building, all the neighborhoods that are around us, and I see the neighborhoods that are here and the different people that recognize or that live in those spaces, some of them are poor. Some of them I know nothing about. And yet that's who God is calling us to reach. In addition to people like you and me, we need to be welcoming and go out of our way to include others who are different. Number three, invest in your walk with God. This is a reflection of the dig deeper. Each one of us needs to put time and energy in our personal, individual walk with God, but also the body and walking in relationship with each other people at at life groups and serving and and, and those. Invest in that because that's, that's the fast track to maturity in your faith. Investing in your relationship with God. And number four, give your best when called upon. And so many of you do. So many of you give and you serve and you are giving your time and your energy and your resources tirelessly. Can I, just as your pastor, can I tell you that they need your help? For those of you who are not serving, for those of you who are not giving, for those of you who are, for whatever reason, and I'm sure there are a myriad of them, just kind of standing on the sidelines, 
I believe that God is saying to you today and has been saying for thousands of years that it is our responsibility to stand and rise and be one family. Let's be in this together. And when your time comes to, whether it's handing a cup of coffee or a program, whether we're serving at an outreach, whether you're singing a song, whether you're at work and you're just trying to represent Jesus, you do it to the best of your ability. Just like we said you know, in the last three weeks in our whatever series, whatever we say or whatever we do, do it all in the name of Jesus as if unto the Lord. All in for the one. So you want to know what makes our church tick? It's those four things. Relationships first. Everyone is welcome. Dig deeper and all in for the one. And it all centers around the idea of encountering God in real life. If we live these values, people will encounter God. They will see him active in their life. That's why I invite you into, and that's why I invite your neighbors and your coworkers and the strangers that you meet into. We have to all walk in this direction together. So I just thought that it might be good for us today, particularly on a week where we didn't have anything specific to talk about, to just highlight what makes our church and the church tick. Just stand with me. I'm going to close by just responding to God through prayer and a song. Maybe just take a quick moment to open your heart, maybe do a self inventory or an analysis of those. Can we bring them back up on the screen, the four values, just so you can reference them. Just take an inventory real quick in your mind, of in your heart. Maybe God might be speaking to you about them. Are you living these to the best of your ability? And the evidence is clear. It's in scripture. Where these come from, come right out of that passage. I want to live like them. I don't always do a good job. And so now, Father, as one family, as one body, what we want is we want to reflect this because it's attractive, belonging, purposeful, open and welcoming and warm, and servanthood, giving everything for those who need it the most. God, let this church, that encounter church, reflect these values. God, let the church of Jesus Christ all over the earth reflect these values. God, I pray conviction. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict Christians and churches that do not reflect them. I pray that you would convict of sin, God, the Christians in our political offices, Christians in our churches, in our nation, in workplaces who reflect you poorly because it is hurting the cause of Christ. And I pray that you would convict, God, that your Holy Spirit would cause us to repent, to move to a place of of softening of our hearts towards these things because this is who you are. You lived these. You embodied these values. God, help every one of us today. We commit to you. We say yes to you. We say we want this. We want to build into relationships. We want to be open and welcoming of people who are different than us. God, we want to take steps deeper in our relationship with you, walking closer with you, learning from you. And we will give back with with everything that we have. When the moment is right, we will give our best. Help us to be the church that you've called us to be, and to reach this city, reach this nation, reach this world, and expand the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing. 
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.